0: Good morning, everyone. Boy, this summer sure has went by fast, right? It just seems like yesterday was my first day here. I just want to just take the time to thank each and every one of you uh, just for accepting me in the green belt and uh, just teaching me something. I, I'm sorry I didn't get to talk to each and every one of you personally, but I thank God for you, and I feel like I, I really am part of the family here. Um, uh, today, I would like to talk about identity. Would you please turn with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter, chapter 3. Identity is something that I've thought a lot about this summer as, as this is my last year in seminary. I graduate in May, God willing, and I'm thinking to myself, who do I want to be? Who is God and, and how, how do I come closer to him? What are the steps that, that I need to do? Identity is something that we think about our whole lives. It, identity makes up who we are. And, and in, in this Western culture that, that we're surrounded around, identity is defined usually by individuality. People, they think about how, how could I lift myself up? How could I build myself up? It's all about me and what I can accomplish and the things that I want to see come to pass. And and in a sense, people, individuals, many people have placed inside themselves to be God and to think that they are I am. I am that I am. I exist. I can do what I please. But that is not the case. We know that the Bible teaches us that we as believers, our identity is found in Christ Everything that we are and everything that we need is found in him. But the question is, what does that mean? How do, how does that play out in our lives? What do we need to do to embrace our identity in Christ as believers? Well, Paul answers this question in the book of Colossians. He's writing to the church in Colossae. And he's writing to them to remind them of the faith and the things of Christ that they need to remember to carry on forward and to also warn them about false teachers. And so we're going to be in chapter three today, but I want to just to give uh, some background information before we get into chapter three. And so let's start in chapter one. Turn to chapter one with me. Paul starts off this letter, and he's reminding the Colossians that he is praying for them. He's saying, we pray for you. We've heard of you. We've heard of your faith and striving in the Lord. And we continually pray that you would just come to more knowledge of Christ and grasp who he is. And then Paul goes on to to stress a very important point about the preeminence of Christ and how Christ is to be first in all things. Let's look at chapter one, verse fifteen. Actually, I'll start in thirteen, so look at one thirteen. It says here, "He, speaking of God the Father, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is so true that before we came to salvation, and if we have not repented of our sins and believed in Christ. We are in the domain of darkness. The darkness surrounds us. It clouds our mind and our identity is sin. And everything that we strive for, everything that we want, everything that we try to be is darkness and sin. And we cannot help or do anything to get out of that darkness on our own. And Paul is saying, but but God the Father, God the Father, he has delivered us. Those who believe in Christ, he has delivered us out of that domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light in whom we have redemption. We have been brought back to God and our sins have been forgiven. Those who believe in Christ. And so Paul goes on in verse 15. He says he Christ is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him this reminds me of of Romans chapter 11 verse 36 all things were made by him through him and to him for his glory for his glory Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have or he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we see here that Christ is to be first. Paul stresses this in chapter one. And in chapter two, he moves forward and he is addressing a problem that is in the church of Colossae. There were people coming to the the Christians in Colossae and was telling them that there's more things that you need to do in this Christian life than just believe in Christ. There's something more that you must do. There's something that needs to be added on. And so to, to go against this, to argue against this, Paul is speaking in verse, verses 8 uh, through 23. Let's read some of it in chapter 2. It says, chapter 2, verse, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all and rule and authority. And in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. Let's go to 16. Here, Paul says, therefore, let no one on the basis of Christ's life and death, and resurrection, and ascension. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink on regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, By his sensuous mind and, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. And so Paul is reminding the Colossians because of what Christ has done these old things have been passed away. You don't have to hold to these festivals or hold the Sabbath every time, and all these things that 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 others are are trying to influence them, because it's so easy to find your identity in what you do. It it, it, it brings a good feeling in you, doesn't doesn't it, when you do something good, and holding to some kind of system that makes you feel sure. But feelings are deceptive. And feelings are not how we find our identity. Our identity is not in what we feel. Because if that's the case, what happens when we, we set a rule or a set of rules for ourselves and then we fail? What happens then? There goes our identity out the window. And that's how many people operate, even some of us, many times. We put so much on, on ourselves and we fail. And then we feel horrible and then we question who we are. Am I really following God? Who am I? But there's another way. There's there's that extreme a religious acting action extreme. And then there's another extreme that we find in verse five of chapter three. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impure impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. So you have religious practice over here and then you have you have freedom or license over here to do whatever you want. And so many of us, sometimes we believe that, hey, I can you know, I'm free in Christ. God's going to forgive this sin anyway. Let me just do it. I don't feel like coming to church. I don't feel like doing this or that or helping others. Or I want to do what I want to do. I have my own plan. So let me just do that. Freedom. License to do the things of the world. But that's not what Christ has called us to either. Our identity is in him. Not how we enjoy life or what we can accomplish or what we can do. Or the good things that we do to build ourselves up. Even doing things that the Bible says. Our identity is in Christ. And now we come to the verses that I want to focus on this morning. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I want to read these. They read. Paul says, If then, Colossians, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If I could summarize this, the, these four verses in a sentence, I, I believe that uh, it would sound something like this. Because of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we as Christians ought to seek What is above? We ought to seek what is above. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, we should seek what is above. Let's look at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So we see that Paul says, You have been raised. If we have been raised, that That means that we must have been dead at one point. And so Paul is reminding us that, hey, we were once dead, not physically dead, but spiritually dead. We were separated from God before we believed in Christ, before we repented of our sins and embraced the blood, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. We were dead in our sins. We were disconnected from God. Unable to come to him, unable to see what we ought to be. God created us in his image. He created us to be, to reflect him. And yet, in our sin, we lost that. No matter what we try to do, no matter how good we feel, no matter what we accomplish, our identity is darkness and sin. But thanks be to God that for those For us believers that have believed in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, we have been raised with him. We have union with Christ. We are with him. We have been raised with him. And so we have a new life. There is a new man. The old man is gone. And when we have those voices that come in our head and try to convince us to sin. Oh yeah, do this. Because that person hurt you, do this to them. Think this. Go there. We don't have to listen to those things. And those thoughts are not who we are. That's not our identity. The evil thoughts that we think, that's not our identity. Our identity is in the risen Christ. Who is sitting as it says at the end of verse 1 he is seated at the right hand of god and so we're to seek christ and the things that are above well what is christ doing is he just chilling up upstairs somewhere just looking down on us no he is at work even though he is sitting down he sat down to work he is working in this world today and so Instead of looking around us, we should seek Christ above. He is in control. He's seated at the right hand of God, which means he is the king of all kings, the lord of all lords. And everything that happens in this world is part of his plan, whether we like it or not. I'm thinking about or I've been thinking about lately about elections and uh, I know a lot of people are just concerned about, oh, who should I vote for, Trump or Hillary or wh- what person? And, and many people feel like, hey, I just got to do eeny, meeny, miny, moe and just kind of choose one and hope that they're the lesser of two evils. But let's let's look and see. Uh, let's read again something we read before. In, in chapter one, it says chapter one, verses 16, it says, for by him all things were created In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. So whatever happens in this world is part of God's plan. I'm not saying that we accept sin, but I'm saying that we have to trust and know that the king of all kings knows what he's doing. And that is what we have to rest in, because if we don't do that, we're going to be looking for a formula. We're going to be looking for answers here in this world and think that if, oh, is A plus B equals C? So we have to do this. We have to vote this way or this won't work or whatever. We'll be confused every day. We'll be stressed out. But Christ is above. The work is completed. He has died for our sins. He is, He has the victory and he's ruling now. Even though we we don't see it. But that's why we have to seek the things that are above. This word seek is a constant thing. Earnestly striving every day to look at Christ. And to be part of his kingdom. The election is not the most important thing that's going on. God's kingdom is the most important thing that's going on. What I want to accomplish in my life is not the most important thing that's going on. My problems in life even though they are hard, are not the most important things that are going on. Christ and his kingdom. I need to embrace that. I need to grab that. I need to grab what I already have in Christ as a believer. What am I doing to move the kingdom of God forward? Do I just do my job and come home and spend time with my family and that's it? Do I just go to school and do my responsibility and that's it? Or am I involved in the body of Christ? Am I serving? Do I have someone that I call and check up on to make sure that they're all right? A brother and sister in Christ. Let's look in chapter 4 and see what, uh, and see, um, what Epaphras was doing. In Colossians 4 verse 12, it says here, Epaphras. It was the person that was speaking on the behalf of the Colossians to Paul. He was telling Paul about the Colossians and the work that they were doing and the belief that they had. And it says, Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Are you helping assure your brothers and sisters Is that something that we're doing? Because if we're seeking Christ, if we're seeking Christ as our identity, then as a result, it will flow off of us. Service of others will flow off of us. It's not the result. I mean, it's not the opposite. It's not that we serve and serve and serve and somehow we get closer to God. Like, no, we come close to Christ. We look at him. We look at him and see who he is. And as a result We will serve our brothers and sisters that is seeking the things that are above God's rich kingdom, his righteousness, who he is, his love, his judgment. Let's see in verse two. What else Paul says? He says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This word set is, it goes beyond emotions. As we said earlier, in a way, verse 1 and verse 2, they're complimenting one another and they're saying similar things. One says, seek the things that are above. And verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above. You're not going to seek things that are above if you're not setting your mind on things that are above. Set it just as God set his love upon you. Circumstances do not change God's love for you. And so circumstances should not change our minds. They should not change our minds about God or the things that are above of what's going on in our lives. Set your minds. When you don't feel like it, when you feel like everything is falling apart, go back to the Word of God and set your mind. Set it. Because Christ doesn't change. His promise is to come back, to help you, his spirit, to bless you, to conform you to his image. The fact that everything, Romans chapter 8 teaches, everything works together for good, for those who love Jesus, who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise. And that is to take place no matter what. And so we have to understand that we need to set our minds. Because if we're not setting our minds, then we're setting them on things that are on earth. And what's wrong with the things that are on earth? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible that has just really blessed my soul in times of need. Matthew 6. Let's go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 19. <clears throat> Here, Jesus is is speaking comforting words to those who are are questioning, those who are, are listening to him, and he is comforting them with just assurance. And so he says here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so... Paul is is reminding us that, hey, there are so many appealing things here on earth that we can grasp hold to. And it's so easy to find our identity in the things that we own, the things that we work for, our jobs especially, or just the things that we enjoy. But they will take our minds. If we allow them to become first place, they will take our lives away from Christ and we will well, they will take us away from seeing Christ for who he is. And, and, and Christ is the only thing that will fulfill us. He's the only thing, he's the only one, the only person that will make our lives have meaning. And so, here in verse 3, Paul says, The reason why you should not seek the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden. With Christ in God, for you have died, and so wait, Paul, I thought you said that 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 I'm alive now, now you say I died? Well, Paul is speaking of the old man, the old Franton, the old Franton has died, and what does that mean? What I want is not first anymore, and there's nothing wrong with my desires that i that I have I want to do something good but but that just that goes away for what christ wants to do it's not about what i want to live anymore how i want to live it's it's about christ and living for him and allowing him to live in me and to go through the world i i should do what christ has has called me to do and the hard thing about that is that, I mean, our life is hidden with Christ. It's, it's, it's hidden. It's, it's not something that is just known to everyone. Everyone doesn't understand around me what's going on. And, and things don't seem to always work out the way that I want them to because it's hidden. But one day, Paul says in verse four, one day when Christ, who is your life, appears Then you will appear with him in glory one day. That is a hope that we have. And so here we see in these four verses, we see that we are to seek the things that are above. We are to set our minds on the things that are above. And we are to hope for things that are above. We are to hope. And in a way, all of those are saying the same thing. We are to hope And wait for Christ and hope and know. and hope is not based upon something that we, oh, I'm not so sure, but I hope that it happens. Like, no, not that kind of hope. Hope is a thing that is sure. It is sure in my heart. I know that Christ is going to return. I know that he has forgiven my sins. I know that despite what I might do, my identity does not change. And so, what are the implications of all this? Just some everyday implications that we have um, from Christ's life and death and resurrection and ascension. Well, just think about it. Just think about this: What happens when I'm a Christian and I can't do what I used to do anymore? What happens for for those who are are getting up there in age and have served in this church really well, but now they can't anymore? What happens? We feel feel bad when when things like that happen. What happens when we get a mysterious illness and, and, and it has brought us down? What happens then? What happens to our identity? We can't serve anymore. We can't live life the way we used to anymore. Well, Thanks be to God that our identity is not in what we do, even the good things that we do. Many times we pray and ask God, well, God, how am I supposed to do this if I'm down in this way? Answer my prayer. Heal me, Father. Allow me to, to do what I want to do. I'm trying to do good for you. Well, God wants us to look at Christ and find our identity in him. Not do good. The ultimate thing that he wants us to do is Christ. He wants us to look at Christ, Christ, Christ. It's not about how much we can serve. Even serving for Christ is not our identity, but Christ himself is our identity. And and so let us not get discouraged when we can't do the things that we ought to do that we feel that we should do for God. Because Christ is everything. He is everything. And Christ will allow things to come into our life that will bring us down and and make us feel like we're nothing. But why does he do that? He does that so that we will look at him and see that he is everything. And it won't always be that way. Because Christ will appear one day. And he will make all wrongs right. And he one day will appear and everyone will see him for who he is. But at this time when we're waiting, we are waiting for him to return. Let us look up and not what's going on around us because we'll get caught up in that and we will allow darkness to surround us. But Christ is freedom. He wants us to be free in him to to know that. That he is seated on the throne and no matter what chaos is happening or how I feel, my identity is in him and it will never change. Let's pray.